Well, would you look at that? It is Wednesday, the 4th of January, 2017. Welcome, everyone. This is the very first promotional malpractice live chat on MMA fighting in uh, 2017, 2017. Hope you are doing well. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Luke Thomas. I'm the host of this podcast, and uh, I am glad you are here. Welcome. Bienvenidos. Uh, a lot to get to today. I'm assuming there's going to be a thousand. Uh, I've seen some of it, actually. Some Rousey questions. I had people email me a bunch of Rousey questions, which I put into the thread of the live chat. Um, so we'll have a lot of that. Some 207 stuff, some Cody Garbrandt stuff, some Habib and Tony Ferguson stuff. Lots of stuff to get to. Appreciate everyone who has contributed. So the, for, for the first time ever, if you look down in the description box of this video, you'll see I've actually put the live thread in there. So the best place to get questions in are the live thread, which is in the description box on MMA fighting uh, or on Twitter. Uh, you can tweet me at SBN Luke Thomas. If you use the hashtag chat wrappers, um, I will see that. And I'll go to that towards the end of the chat. And then there's a full description on that MMA fighting page, which is linked in the description box. Barbus is here. I took a personal day yesterday. Take my other dog, Lola, um, to she had to get some teeth extracted. So that was a show, but she's doing well. She's uh, sleeping downstairs. So everyone who sent in a kind note about it, thank you so much. She is doing great. Uh, you know, I was going to have this. Y'all drink La Colombe? It's incredible coffee. Um, most of the time when I go to Starbucks and I get a drip, it's just burnt to a crisp. And this is just what you could buy in the store. Um, so this is not their best stuff. But if you get their pour over, you had a pour over, essentially where they filter the water and then it's the single um, cup made at a time. Their Colombian pour over there is like insane. But this has, I didn't notice this has 16 grams of sugar in it. So. I'm going to go with the healthy option back to old Coke Zero. There we are. I was going to have green tea, but I'm out of green tea. So should have got some, but I've been traveling. All right. With that out of the way, let's get this going. And again, thank you so much for joining me. Here we are back to the top. All right. Let's see. Let's kick off 2017. Uh, yes. Rousey stuff. All right. Here we go. Where does Ronda go from here? Rarely do we see fighters whose strengths and weaknesses are so clearly defined. Moreover, her strengths are still light years ahead of her contemporaries, yet her weaknesses are now glaring to the point of embarrassment, um, especially given the time she had to shore them up. You have often talked about how Conor McGregor worked on his grappling during the time that, this, that his raw power was able to keep his seat at the table, knowing that the one trick wouldn't keep him there forever. True. That said, where does Ronda go from here? Assuming she decides to continue, big if, which of the two training models that you have discussed do you think would be the most beneficial to her going forward? A, would it be best for her to join a mega camp like a Jackson Wake of Kings? I think about the massive strides made in striking in the grappling-centric Verdum. Uh, or do you think she should rent a warehouse somewhere and pay all the best coaches she can to fly out and train her and hubby Travis Brown by their lonesome? Money is obviously no issue for her. She could recruit the best of the best. Lastly, could you please speak on how speak on how it's even possible for a striking coach like Edmund to devalue Ronda's game in that specific area so atrociously? Boy, man, there's a thousand Ronda questions to get to, and I got emailed a bunch of them uh, on um, over the weekend after Ronda was uh, defeated, and I was going to make a special video about it, but I never really had time because I had to make the I had to make early the. Um, the Monday morning analyst so I could travel on Monday to get my dog the surgery and everything else. So I never really got around to it, but I'm happy to include them all here. All right. Answering the questions. Where does she go from here? 
forced to make a choice or a bet, I suspect she retires, but anything's possible. Um, I, I frankly, if, if she's really up to, <clears throat> if she's up to the task of, <coughs> excuse me, returning, I'd really like to, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> pardon me. If she really wants to return, I'd love to see it. I'd love, I'd hate to see her career end this way. I mentioned during my, like my immediate fight recap that, you know, Ronda Rousey deserved better. And some people were like, why would she deserve better? Why would she deserve anything else that, you know, uh, some sort of special treatment here? And, and, the, and the reason why is because someone with that kind of ability and that kind of potential, it feels like a waste to not give them everything to maximize their talent. It's one for pers- one thing for a person of, you know, decent or even good ability to wring the sponge dry. We've talked about that. It's another one for someone of this caliber who had that much of a lead on her contemporaries to lose it because of factors that are within seemingly control it's not within her control that's one thing but if these things are correctable and we can't correct them uh and so something is lost there that is there is a tragedy to that not merely for her but i think for us too um what would be the best model really hard to say i think no matter what she has to clear up some of these psychological hurdles that she has i don't mean merely potentially and i'm sort of spitballing here uh fear of getting hurt, um, fear of losing itself, fear of what it all might mean. This weird thing where she has this rejection of anyone who even offers, frankly, innocuous criticism. Um, some, if I don't think any progress can be made if those things aren't really dealt with, to be, to be frank. So the question is not merely could you put her in a better training environment, and get a better result. Maybe you could to some extent, but I don't think you would really solve the problem until a lot of those issues are addressed. Now, it could be the case that in a camp where there is some sort of a humbling, and if you stick it out, you might come out the uh, the other end of the washing experience a different person. That might be true, but that still doesn't. I don't think. I don't think that discounts the real necessity here, which is her impediment might actually be that some people just never get good at striking training. I think we really have to consider that. It could be the case that we're all bagging on Edmund. Uh, and, and the fact is Rousey just can't get better. I find that to be unlikely, but it's, it's not anything we can automatically discount. But I think no matter what, unless she addresses some of these other, cons- these other issues, whatever they may be. And again, I was sort of suggesting some things that could be, I don't actually know the definitive list, but, um, you know, when you can't talk to the media, when you can't talk to Joe Rogan after a loss, when you had this sort of like me against the world kind of attitude, that works well when you're winning. That is not a winning recipe to get back on the winning track when you're losing. So um, my hunch is that getting with a big camp is probably the best. I think one of the things that was apparent to me was you saw Kenny Florian and John Anik on their podcast saying that they had heard she had done no sparring. She had done sparring, I know for a fact, with what was her name, Michaela... What's her name? Michaela Meyer. Michaela Meyer had gone into her camp and done some sparring, um, and at least some training with Ronda Rousey. Here's, here's something she put up on Instagram a day ago. We cannot forget the doors Ronda Rousey has opened for women in the sport. I have nothing but respect and admiration for her accomplishments, and it was an honor to spend some time in camp. Sending positive thoughts your way. So they did some sp- sparring. Um, and I guess Kenny Florin has since uh, said he said that their camp has told him he's had he had she had four sparring partners. Now look in an elite camp, it's not like you have to have a billion sparring partners. In fact, you do kind of want to have a few people you work with over and over again 
but these people have to be people you can trust. They have to be of a certain level. The program, the programmatics generally have to be correct, right? The person designing this camp has to know what how to, how to design a camp, how to execute on a game plan, how to bring a person to up to speed, how to you know uh, essentially all of these formatics that exist um, have to be in place too. So simply bringing good sparring partners when there's no formatics doesn't do a whole lot of good, right? Um, so for me. I actually feel like, assuming all those other issues that I mentioned could be addressed, something like a Jackson Link, something like an ATT, obviously a man is at ATT, but I'm saying something like that, uh, I think would be best. I think getting a lot of different looks from a lot of different tests, um, sharing what she knows, learning from what others know, being part of a larger environment where you don't get to stand out. I mean, all those, the better ones do get to stand out, but you're still part of a class environment, a group environment, a team environment. Uh, I really think that would be a benefit to her. Um, I don't know if she's the kind of person who would necessarily work in those kinds of environments, but um, it just feels like among the other things that, again, I said she had to address, that would solve a lot of the problems and I think would be the best at bringing her up to speed on, like, we all know she doesn't need to be a good boxer. Like, oh, what's it going to take for her to be a good boxer? Who cares about being a good boxer? It, what she needs to work on is distance clo closing. That's what she needs to work on. And she tried. If you watch the Monday Morning Analyst, and it, it's done really well this week, so I really appreciate everyone who's watched. Um, she tries, I think I counted three different occasions to really clinch. Grab an elbow, or sorry, grab an elbow, grab behind the head, uh, underhook, and she never really got close. I want to read you a quote. This is from 2013. I did a technique talk with Dave Camarillo, and I feel like this has held up mostly pretty well. This is my question to him. Let's circle back to Rousey as the focal point of this discussion. What is the blueprint for beating Rousey? Is it someone who is a high-level jiu-jitsu grappler or something, or would it be something else? And this is Dave Camarillo's answer. Dave Camarillo, black belt in judo, an international competitor, A-level, uh, black belt in jiu-jitsu, founder of Gorilla Jiu-Jitsu, a longtime coach at AKA and other places. He says, quote, just look at her fight. The fight's all, almost always over when she gets the clinch and takes her opponent down, gets her to where she wants, and finishes her. So you got to out-clinch her. Yes, good footwork would be awesome, but you're going to get into the clinch. Well, you've got to get out-clinch her. you got to break free, get her tired. Once she's tired, who knows what she, what's going to happen. A lot of fighters who keep winning, they get punched in the face, and the second that doubt enters their mind, that's the experience. It happened to GSP. It happens to everybody. Once they have a man. I can't get a hold of this person. This is not how I envisioned it last night when I went to bed. I thought I was going to get my hands on them, put them onto the ground, and armbar them. Once you disrupt that, you have a chance. But if you're not equipped with the proper tools or athleticism or training, that's going to be very, very difficult for you because she's so far ahead. I would say a lot of that holds up. Uh, I would say a lot of that holds up. The reason why um, – look at the two losses that Ronda Rousey has had. Holly Holm and Amanda Nunes. Amanda Nunes – she was landing from the outside, no doubt about it. She was tagging her, and I think that's a way, in fact, to keep distance. But there were times where Amanda had to specifically clinch break. I saw some people being like, this was boxing versus judo. No, it's not. It's a little bit of boxing uh, uh, matched with um, MMA clinch breaking. That's clinch breaking is what that is. Because if she, you allow her to clinch and wrap a head and wrap an arm and she gets her hands clasped together or even just in position behind the elbow and around the head, hips in, you're going to go for a ride. And when you go for a ride, it's, it's going to be her game there. At least she, that's where she stands a much better chance of winning, right? Um, and uh, the fact that she was able to clinch break in that way was phenomenal. We went go back and watch the other Monday morning analyst with Holly and Rhonda. She clinched breaks there too, as well as get, sort of getting out of the way. 
the big lesson there to me is I, I think Ronda is probably never going to be an elite striker or even maybe even a very good one. She could be probably an okay striker, but if she can learn how to close distance again, um, then that would change everything. And by the way, I saw a lot of misconceptions about this too. Everyone's like, why is she standing with, uh, why is she standing with Amanda? Why should she just take her to the ground? It's like, it's, it's, it's not magic. Like you can't just walk over and take them to the ground. They're, they're not going to let you. Um, she doesn't shoot like a wrestler, perhaps because of knee problems, but she doesn't shoot. So that's out. And if she was, I doubt she'd be very good at it. Um, so she has to get a clinch of some kind, body lock over under a Russian two on one, whatever she has to get something. If the other person doesn't let you, what are you supposed to do? I've never understood this argument. It's like, Ronda thinks she's a boxer. Okay, she, there are times definitely in both fights where she was standing a little bit too long. Um, no doubt about it. Maybe there could have been a, a, a frantic effort to get either of those opponents to the ground. Okay, fair enough. But she's standing with both Holly and Amanda, one, because the fight starts that way, and two, while she was able to get Holly down once, um, she was, I think, rocked at that point already, so she was sort of all out of sorts, and Holly was able to stand back up. But... They didn't let her. They clinch broke, and they got out of the way. In the case of Amanda Nunes, clinch broke, and then put her at the end of the punches. Like, that fight was won or lost because of clinch breaking. So, to me, if you can get uh, Rousey to be able to just, just to be able to defend herself, get out of the way, right, be real safe at distance, and then find a way inside, um, you can probably do some things. You could probably really do some things. And I think that a high-level coach would be able to, to take her in that kind of direction um, perhaps in a more intimate environment, but I think a team setting where you get this constant exposure to this wide ecosystem of body types and ideas and experiences and athleticism and scenarios, it would just, I think it would tremendously impact her development because everyone talks about on the training mat what a beast she is, how hard she works. We all know what kind of athlete she is. Whatever else you want to say about her, she is not a bad athlete. That's no guarantee of success, but that's a nice advantage to have as you're moving forward. So to me, shout outs to uh, Dave Camarillo for, I think, having basically the right idea. A couple things you could argue in there, of course, but um, but also, you know, speak to how far the head of the game she was in that kind of thing. Um, if she had her hands on you, even in the Sarah McMahon fight, if she had her hands on you and was pushing you into the fence, then she had an ability there to affect change with that liver shot, right? That was another form, not so much of the clinch, but of a clinch kind of quasi scenario where you're locked up with your hands and inside control and inside ties and overhooks and, you know, wrist control or elbow control. Uh, and she just let her on fire and, um, that shouldn't be forgotten. That should not be forgotten to piggyback. Would Ronda be, excuse me, would, would Ronda be better served working in a new camp on her striking deficiency or wrestling to create new entries into the clinch for as inept as her striking is, once she can get someone down, she is as high level as it gets there. Yeah, I think that's sort of the way I, I look at it. But I, I really wonder why she doesn't shoot. I, I suspect it's because of those knee injuries where she's had some multiple surgeries. Not particularly invasive ones that I'm aware of, but um, not insignificant ones either. So I wonder about that. Um, but who knows? Who knows? But I don't think Edmund Tarverdian's the guy to get her there. I can say that with a fair degree of confidence um, for sure. If she decides to fight again, I think these might be her three best options to take advantage of her top game. Number one, 
adopt a grapple box style like the Team Alpha Male, work on her stance and footwork. Maybe that's not the best fit since a lot of those guys have folk-style wrestling background and have a low stance to begin with. Yeah, that would not be good for her. Abandon striking altogether and take a Demi and Maya approach. Again, she would need to add on her own takedown arsenal be able to shoot under strikes, potentially. Perhaps do a more of a traditional tie approach with out with the kicks and use her hands to close distance to get to the clinch. I'd say a combination of the second and the third. Although you don't need a traditional Muay Thai approach to close the distance. Those guys are eager to clinch with each other. You need What she needs is not the traditional tie style. So actually, let me, let me say the third one. I would say the second one mixed with something else related to striking. She needs some kind of way to not merely close the distance, but in the clinch have forms of control where they're making the other person clinch with you. It's one thing in a tie match where if you throw a punch and then you get in so in tight with them that it is both fighters' natural instincts to then clinch up behind the head and go to work. Oh, you can't see it. This is the American Muay Thai League. It's a league in, in D, uh, they compete in the part in D.C. and other places as well. It's just happened to be wearing it. It's one of my favorite shirts. Um, and just naturally clinch. But that's not what this is. You know, Ryan Hall has talked about the fact that it's one thing to have really good jiu-jitsu in a scenario where the other person is meeting you on other jiu-jitsu terms. It's another one to have jiu-jitsu where you force another person um, to be subject to your jiu-jitsu, kind of like Demi and Maya. He forces people to have to deal with that. You have to force someone to accept your clinch. Um, and that I don't think – I mean, she had through just bullying in. But then when people got wise to it and then figured out how to deal with it, now this question of now she has to adapt again. Everyone's going to adapt. Everyone. The game is going to catch up eventually, even for someone of a substantial ability. You know, I think that was the lesson in both the, the main and co-main event wins. You know, Dominic Cruz was so far ahead of Team Alpha Male that it took years and camps and events and, a, and almost generations of guys to finally get the right recipe to, to beat him. Um, but they did. And what does that tell you? It tells you that Dominic Cruz was way ahead of the game, but that you can't stay way ahead of the game unless you are staying way ahead of the game, unless you are continuously investing and getting better. And I'm sure he was, but it's just hard to do, especially when people have an axe to grind against you. And they had an axe to grind against a champion and they had an axe to grind against Rousey champion or not, you know. She was his figurehead. And everyone just sort of caught up with her. But um, I think in the short run, you do what you're naturally good at. Uh, you do the you you you. What are you naturally good at? From the clinch, you have an unbelievable ability to take people down and then submit them very very quickly, almost in a fluid motion. Not all the time, but fair enough. Uh, 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 she 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 adapted the game to, or she changed the game such that um, she showed you what it was like to be able to get not just submissions quickly, um, submissions very quickly from the takedown. There was there was an urgency in her submissions that. The jiu-jitsu people don't typically have some do of course but not all of them in fact many of them don't it's culturally it's not part of the same kind of thing in judo because of the rules when you get someone to the mat you have to submit them very very quickly um and then that she brought that kind of urgency she technically innovated the game in that kind of way um and so um that's what she's good at building from that center space out is what you i think you have to do especially since she has so an extraordinary deficiency in the striking department uh, was the cruise cut over the eye accidental or headbutt, as Rogan said, or was it a kick, as Cody stated? I don't think it matters much. I mean, maybe it was from the Cody kick. It, you know, 
even if it wasn't, would you downgrade his performance? It's pretty pretty well established how well he did, you know. Um, here we go. I want to address this one. When was the last? When was a high level judo specialist ever been successful outside of Rousey and MMA? I'll wait. Lots of them have. Judo is simply not an effective form of fighting for MMA. Girls in her division have evolved to learn how to break from Rousey's clinch game. Defensive tactics against judo in the women's division has evolved leaps and bounds. If Rousey can't grab a hold of her opponent and take her down, she's deer in headlights. Most of the time, women have already lost before they step into the cage uh, with Rousey due to many factors. Girls fighting in their prelim, then jumping straight into headlining a fight with Rousey. Rousey having that Mike Tyson aura where girls end up being terrified of her and end up making stupid mistakes a la Zingano. Why else do you think Rousey does that stink face every time she faces off, heads down to the octagon right before a fight? For pure intimidation, why put in any effort in learning MMA at all if your opponent's going to lose before you ever step into the octagon and face you? Well, there's a lot there to unpack, but a lot of it's wrong, if not most of it. Um, so there's been lots of high-level players in from judo. Now, um, you know, Hidehika Yoshida, Makoto Sakimoto, uh, I believe Paolo Nastula, um, you could maybe call um, – God, who's the guy from in Bellator forever? Rick. I think one of Mike Chandler choked out. Um, I forget his name now. I feel bad. Um, there's been a lot. Um, and some were gold medalists. Yoshida, Takimoto. Um, there's been some other ones as well, I believe. Am I wrong about Paolo Nastula? Now I'm getting paranoid. Oh, he was uh, quite good. Um, a lot of these guys got into the game uh, very, very late, right? By the time they competed, they were um, too far gone. And Nestula had some mixed records, to be sure. But there's, there's, there's reasons why you don't see a lot of high-level judo players uh, in uh, MMA. First of all, if you want to count the number of grapplers who've come over to MMA uh, and just absolutely fizzled out, you would not have a hard time figuring out who it was. I mean, there are, nay, dozens of them, hundreds of them who have been good grapplers come over to MMA and either been washed out or, um, you know, had unimpressive records to, to put it mildly. Um, so there's that. Who did I have to go back and look? He, he could go Shida beat. Not in judo, but in, in MMA. Uh, let's see. I mean, beat Mark Hunt. Nishijima. He's just a boxer though. And Oyo Gawa, another, what you call it? Uh, you know, he lost to some big ones, too. Um, you know, he lost some big ones, too, but he also entered. This is the point. Judo and MMA have uh, not merely disparate cultures, but judo has a judo leadership, and judo culture has a real antipathy towards MMA. They are, There's an active effort to reject MMA. Some of the, um, some of the uh, competitors in judo, the judokas, ignore this. Obviously, Rossi being one of them, but there is a real cultural distance between the two that is not insignificant. And I think that's the reason why, you know, jujitsu and MMA have this easy marriage. Uh, they're basically, um, if not cut, I mean, they're, whatever metaphor you want to use, they're very related. And so there's this natural pipeline. And in fact, it was developed through our minds from jujitsu to MMA, right? Through Hoist Gracie. There's this really easy connectivity between the worlds. The membrane separating them is quite permeable. It is a firewall, basically, between judo and MMA. And some, some uh, uh, you know, 
competitors sneak through one way or the other, but that inhibits who we get. And even when we get them, we often get them past their prime. Rousey being someone we did not get past their prime. But uh, God, now I'm now I'm feeling bad about this guy's name, and I'm sure everyone is telling me what his name is on Twitter, because Twitter's good for that. But um, Jesus, Rick Hahn. But Rick Hahn, for example, you know he was an international level competitor, and um, but he got into MMA late. Look at Dan Kelly; he did four Olympic games before he ever got, and he was like you know international level competitor, but not one of their best overwhelming majority of the best judo players ever have never set foot in an MMA ring or cage. Overwhelming majority. In fact, a tiny fraction of the best players ever have. That's not true for jiu-jitsu. Many of the most elite, uh, not many, but certainly a significant portion of the elite of jiu-jitsu have made their way over, and a good portion of that one bottomed out too. You know, Even the king, Hadra Gracie, Marcelo Garcia, right? You could watch those two, you'd be like, I don't think jiu-jitsu works for MMA, and you'd be dead wrong. So there's just not enough connectivity between the two worlds for you to see someone come over who's really good, naturally adept at MMA, and can do what we need in MMA, which is really adapt the next level of judo. You haven't really seen a ton of high-level judoka come over and work on judo, judo adaptations for the modern MMA game. There's plenty of people working on leg locks for the modern MMA game. There's plenty of people working on footwork for the modern MMA game. Neo footwork from Dillashaw to D Dwayne Ludwig to Dominic Cruz to you know Cody Garbrandt. There's plenty of people working on their head movement. There's plenty of people working on wrestling entries. Look at Habib Nurmagomedov. There's not a lot of people working on clinch entries or other forms of adaptation. Carl Parisian had done some, but he had bottomed out too. It's simply not true that judo doesn't work for MMA. This is just a ridiculous statement that should never be taken seriously. Does it have its limitations? Of course it does. It has an, an extraordinary amount of limitations, but in the right hands, there's a lot you can do right with it. Is it as good of a base for MMA as wrestling? Probably not, but that is a bad base or a non-functioning base. Not, not a real position to adopt. The evidence does not suggest that at all. I think the bigger issue is we don't have enough we don't have enough connectivity between the two worlds to share best practices and adapt a form of judo for the next stage of MMA. We haven't done that. You've just seen a lot of judo players come right over, use a lot of that, um, and have had some success with it. But once guys begin to catch up a little bit, there there's not a second gear. Is there a second gear because judo can't be innovated for MMA? No. It's because we don't have enough of the people in those worlds to do that service for us. We need those guys to do it. You need a John Danaher and his acolytes in the Danaher death squad to really work on the next level of footwork in Nogi. You need that. You need a laboratory. And I don't think we have a, a judo laboratory for MMA purposes. And until we, ha until we do, you're going to see arguments like this pop up, but I don't think they hold any water. Um, you know, is it true that Ronda Rousey had a significant advantage over her competitors that she let slip away? Yes, that is true. But that significant advantage should tell you something about the shortcomings in those games. And, you know, is there something to be said about the fact that these women psyched themselves out? Sure. But that arm bar and that Granby roll that Ronda hit on Cat to set up that arm bar is no joke, man. That is super high-level adaptive stuff. Super. Super duper. Incredible. Incredible stuff. Um, you know, and the and I forget the throw she hit. She may have been a simple head and arm on um, um, Alexis Davis. Incredible, you know, super. How about some of the arm bars she hit on Liz Carmouche, adapting to get the leg out to remove the hook on the inside thigh? All kinds of stuff she's done. Like she, like 
she's been incredible, and that stuff she learned from judo came with her. Travis Stevens is a guy who maybe has done some adaptation, not for MMA purposes, but between judo and judo, sorry, judo and jiu-jitsu, being both a Henzo or Danaher black belt, and then being uh, you know inter international class um, was it silver medalist in the Olympics um, uh, in judo. So he's done some adaptation in grappling generally. You saw some of that at Copa Podio, but you, you you see what I'm saying that 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 process doesn't happen, and as a consequence, you just get these guys working on themselves versus in the MMA world, everybody's working on this sort of like adapted jujitsu. Let's go down, shall we? Someone says, I disagree a little bit with Luke on the takedowns. She didn't look prepared in any way. She didn't look, she trained any way to get the clinch safely. Well, I would encourage you to watch uh, the Monday Morning Analyst because you're partly right. She didn't get the clinch at all, much less safely, but that wasn't for a lack of effort. And the reason is why, because she stopped doing things she was doing before, maybe. Uh, or because Amanda never let the clinch get started before she stopped it. I think I would argue that's a big part of it, too. Uh, the mysterious fall of Johnny Hendricks. Hey, Luke, I want to get your thoughts on possible causes for the career slide of Johnny Hendricks. Although some people can argue a case for him beating Neil Magny on Friday night. I thought that Neil won, but I know what you mean. The main ingredient to his game that made him so successful in his run to the title years ago was his striking. Majority of people suspect Hendricks of using PEDs in that time because of the powers the last end to fade when you're declining. Yet for Hendricks, it was the first, though it's hard to perceive the impact that his power has today because of his activity rate for strikes that had him back was non-existence when he fought Fitch, Condit, St. Pierre, blah, blah, blah. He would jab with his right to set up his big left, and he would rush inside of you and overwhelm you with combinations. In his last three fights, he has thrown single left-hand shots, not even attempted to follow up like he used to. The aggression is no longer there, and neither is his creativity to be successful on the feet. To me, it seems ignorant on some people's part to just assume Hendricks was cheating without him actually failing a test, although you can understand that assumption. I think the weight cutting through his entire life played a big part, another reason in a sport evolving past a particular style. Um, blah, 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 blah. So what do you think? All right, look. Here's the elephant in the room. Everyone and their brother is like, PEDs, USADA, 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 USADA. Can we definitively exclude the impact USADA has had on... Uh, Johnny Hendricks's career. No, you can't. There is a something to be said that the timing potentially means nothing, but it is coincidental and is at least one theory that would explain the decline. It would. It would explain it. Um, but to the point that this person raises, uh, it, there might be some other things that you should consider. Number one, he had um, a number of, and I'm just getting, just hear me out, a number of personal failings. I mean, put opening a restaurant and then losing all that. I mean, just to be clear about this, I guarantee you he took a financial bath on that. That doesn't weigh easily on someone. And that wouldn't explain why you lost power in your left hand. But I'm sort of saying I wouldn't, even if it was you saw it being true, I wouldn't say that that would even by itself explain everything. I think a series of professional and personal failures. But to me, the bigger issue is this is a guy who's been cutting weight probably since he was in his teens, if not before that. And I think he has ultimately absolutely and unequivocally wrecked his body as a consequence. Chris Lieben has told me that he is on um, medication the rest of his life because of damage he's done to his endocrine system as a consequence of weight cutting. So I don't know why Johnny Hendricks would be exempt from that. Now, again, that also could be true and you thought it could be true. Um, it's hard to say exactly. I, I guess I would just caution people who are like automatically think it's USADA. I, I cannot say you're wrong, nor would I try to, but I, I would just also caution that uh, 
I doubt that, that is by itself the explanation. I cannot imagine that how is he now in his mid thirties, early to mid thirties that, you know, potentially 20 years of weight cutting hasn't had an effect on him. Um, not everyone who wears weight cutting the same way. You don't know what kind of weight cutting he was doing back in his collegiate days, whether it was safer than other forms. Everyone responds to those kinds of stresses differently. And I, you know, you can't say weight cutting is super dangerous and has all kinds of ill effects and then be like, well, it's only USADA. Could be, could be, but I doubt it's by itself. I think there's other, some factors at play. And I really think that um, to me, you know, when you go through a series of professional and then personal failures and you've done lasting biological damage uh, on the former, um, there's some, there's a cost to be paid for that. There's definitely a cost to be paid for that. I'll say though, I thought when he was guard passing, he looked good. Like in that second round, he looked strong. He had a good takedown. He had a nice ride for the most part. It's just when he got lazy and didn't do a whole lot in the first and the third that Neil's guard came to life. But when he was passing, he looked good, you know? Uh, let's see. Someone asked, Luke, can you explain what's going on in this video? Of Dana White saying a fighter is bigger than you. He didn't say a fighter was bigger than me. He said Nate Diaz was bigger than me. And then he said Nick Diaz. Neither are bigger than me. Um, now they could both beat me within an inch of my stupid life, of course, but that's not the issue. It's for me, a matter of size versus size. And I'm it's not up for debate. In the end, he just showed I mean, now, there's a video I put out where you can look at it, but like in the end, he he basically was like, look at these pictures of Nate and Connor next to each other, that 196 presser at that UFC gym. And I'm like, okay, but like in 2013, you cautioned Nate to stay at lightweight despite two losses. And Nate's gotten a little bit bigger, uh, but I don't think he's a huge welterweight. I think he's a good, he's a decent size welterweight. He's a good, definitely a good size lightweight, um, but he's a lightweight. That's what he is. He's a lightweight fighter. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's very debatable, but check out the video I made on my personal YouTube channel. You can see, I, I go through everything. All right, Dominic Cruz. Hey, Luke, given how intelligent and adaptive Dominic Cruz is, and at the same time with the already top-level skills, how much do you favor him in a possible rematch between him and Cody if it happens, let's say, in mid-2017? Also, what team... Okay, let's go Let's go through that one first. Um, I don't... I wouldn't like to see an immediate rematch. I would like to see uh, Garbrandt versus Dillashaw first, to be honest. Because I think if you really want to make... Cruz versus Garbrandt competitive, you need to give Cruz time to change what he's doing. He can make immediate adjustments in a probably quick manner, but I think the better thing to do if I was him, and certainly I'm not, but would be um, to invest time in creating a lot of new patterns, a lot of new entries, and that that is just a function of time. Like You can't just invent those overnight. You have to work on those new setups right um i did a i uh i did a technique talk with king mo it's coming out here before too long and one of the points he makes i'm not spoiling it but one of the points he makes is that like he'll be Nurmagomedov. like does he have a wide array of takedowns yes he does but what really makes him unique is not that he has all these innovative ways to take you down but he does have innovative entries and innovative setups and then the and that innovation um is where the other sort of more commonly used tactics doubles singles trips, those kinds of things to come to life. And I think if you can give time to the crews to create some new setups, 
that would create some parity because as, as that fight went on, it did not go better for him. I mean, maybe you could say Cody took off the fifth or something, but you know, the third and fourth rounds, he got housed. He got housed big time, Dominic Cruz. And um, it just looked like to me, the big takeaway I had from that one was, you know, one, the defensive work of Cody Garbrandt has gotten dramatically better. Two, I think is he still throws hooks, but his punches are getting more, more and more chambered as time goes on. And I think three, he never bought on the feints and fanks, not much anyway. He might, you might see a little adjustment, you know, like that coming up just to, just, just to make sure. But he really was good about maintaining distance. He was really good about engaging on his terms. Now, I thought, and I said this in the Monday Morning Analyst, I thought when Cody was going forward, it didn't actually go well for him. It's when he got Cruz to come forward and then counter shot on him, uh, either literally or figuratively. Um, but it was when it was when um, he was in these spaces, Dom will be doing this number and this number, you know, and, and Garbrandt would just wait for him, step back when he had to, let Dominic fire a shot, sometimes counter from the same side, and then crack him with another one or, you know, change an angle on him and shoot, something like that. Um, so if he, if he has just good reactive decision-making and good speed, maybe there's nothing Dominic can do anyway. But I think if you really want to make that competitive, let's wait and have Cruz fight uh, Dillashaw. Um, maybe Dillashaw wins that, by the way. You know, I don't, I don't think um, – I think Dillashaw is a very different challenge for Garbrandt. And, uh, but let's say Garbrandt wins that, then you could do another one. I mean, if you really are dying to have a rematch, I suppose six months you could do it. But I don't know. Part of me would just feel like we should wait. They call in me. Rick Hahn. Yes, there we go. Sorry about that. Rick Hahn. Just my brain, y'all. Uh, also, what team would be great for Rousey to join? I'll just say Winkle John, you know, something like that. I mean, I know I know that Ali is there. I'm just saying stranger things have happened, right? Um, Cody, no love. Now that Ronda lost, it potentially may never return. You think Cody, he put Barbrandt. That's my new dog's name. Instead of Barbus, he's Barbrandt. Is now the second biggest star in the UFC and may become one of the biggest stars. I don't think we have any way to really measure his star power. And I think that a star was born on Saturday night or Friday night. But I don't think he's a star yet. I think just, just the birth happened, not the growth at all. But he could be. I think he's got star potential for sure. But no, I don't think he's a star yet. Uh, next for Nunez. I think it should be pretty clear that the next fight for Amanda Nunez should be the Shevchenko-Pena winner. I agree. If Shevchenko wins, do you see a rematch with Nunes going the same as their first fight? Shevchenko seemed to take over in the third round previously, and this time there will be two more rounds. I really wonder about that because Shevchenko has what it takes to give Amanda Nunes problems on the feet. Now, she got overwhelmed a little bit in those first two rounds, but she came on at the end of that second and took over in that third. I think she has. We've seen great cardio in the fourth and the fifth. She's always working on her ground game, uh, her takedown defense. I think I, I'm not saying Amanda Nunes would lose, but that is an extremely competitive fight, and there's a very powerful case to make for Valentina Shevchenko in that one. Yes, absolutely. She will not be overwhelmed on the feet at all. She stays out of trouble. She has the ability to deliver back. A lot of what happened in that first fight was merely hesitation. Remember, one of the claims was not merely that they were exchanging and she was losing. It was that Shevchenko was a little bit gun-shy, just kind of waiting, waiting, waiting too much. And as she began to loosen up as the fight went on, and as Amanda got more tired, okay, um, you really saw that come to life. Uh, 
Amanda Nunez. Do you think Amanda Nunez is now a pay-per-view star that she defeated two of the biggest names in women's MMA history? It's going to be weird to see. Um, you know, she defeated Misha Tate at UFC 200, which sold over a million buys, a million and then some, and didn't become a big star. Now, beating Ronda Rousey is a much bigger deal, at least from a media standpoint, than beating uh, Misha Tate. But I think if it was just a function of, like, who did you beat? Did you become a star? I definitely feel like that helps a lot. And again, maybe she turned a corner here. In fact, it might even be likely that she turned something of a corner here. I definitely feel like more people are going to know who she is moving forward. But I just don't see how it's deniable at this point that WME, it's like they bought, they botched the promotion of this, just flat out botched it. And I made this point before. Number one, it's why would you want to have Amanda Nunes as a big focal point of your media blitz? One, because you might get more people invested. Look at what she did to Misha Tate. She's a super big threat to Ronda Rousey. You would have told you could have been like right. You've been like, you know what? She's a serious threat. She's a champion of this weight class for a reason. You'd look a lot better in the end. First part. Second part as an insurance policy. Oh, damn, Rousey lost might never be back. Good thing we gave people a lot of heads up about who she was. Um, there's that as well. Three, it's not a zero-sum game. It's not that if you take away airtime from Ronda and give some to uh, Amanda, you're lowering your level of exposure generally. There might be a point where if you had a gross imbalance, that would happen. But if you take a slight degree away from Ronda to give extra attention to Amanda, that can pay dividends as a pivot point in the event of a traumatic and devastating loss or a loss even generally. And they skipped out on all that. And like, is it true that the biggest way to get Amanda a star is to beat someone of the, uh, you know, who has the highest Q rating like Ronda Rousey? Yes, yes, that is true. But those efforts can be buttressed. So, like, in the end, to your point, if Amanda ends up being a big star, you know, I realize the UFC can say, well, or Dana White even can say, well, look, um, I was right in the end. She became a big star. But that's not the point. The point is not whether she was able to turn a corner beating Ronda Rousey in devastating fashion. It was how much bigger could she be if she had been promoted fully the last two events, especially the last one. If y'all had really dug your heels in and let her do a media blitz and she's trying to speak English. And I think there's a pretty good job of it. You know, um, you know, obviously her spoken English is a little bit limited, but her English comprehension is actually quite good. She, have you noticed she rarely ever asks you to repeat the question and she still basically gets the nuts and bolts of it. Correct. Not an easy thing to do, you know? So, um, her listening comprehension skills are good and her speaking, uh, ability is coming along rapidly, you know, very, very rapidly. And I can tell you that like, even with my wife, when we first started dating, she was, um, I would call it like professional level in English. You know, she could work in an English language environment at a corporate office, but even since we've been together, um, her English language speaking skills and, and writing of course too, but speaking especially has gone through the roof. You know, being an American top team, there are other Portuguese speakers there, but being in a relationship with Nina Ansaroff, this is not a small thing. This will affect her ability to speak English better in a rapid fashion. Trust me. I guarantee you in one or two years' time, Amanda Nunes is going to have very, very good English, you know. Um, and being in a relationship with an American or a native English speaker in any way um, can have a dramatic effect on that. I'm kind of – I know I'm, I'm uh, you asked about Shevchenko. I'm just sort of pointing out. But long story short um, – they missed the boat on that. So is she going to be a big star? I think definitely this was a major boost to her career. I just wonder how much bigger it could be if they had really done this um, with best industry, best practices, which they did not. Um, you think Amanda Nunes? Yeah, it's paper star. should be too big. Barbara versus Dillashaw. Who would you favor in the UFC if the UFC made this matchup? Man, this is a tough one. 
this is a tough one because I think Dillashaw, and I made this point before, he wrestled against Lineker, even though he broke Lineker's jaw in the first round, which is just wild to think about. But I do think he likes to strike more. I do think that's true. And I wonder if he could create patterns or entries. Obviously, it's not his his style of striking is not the same as Cruz's. They involve they I mean they both use a lot of um fakes, fakes, feints, switches, unusual entries, right? Just ways to look over here and then the end over here kind of thing, you know. Um I wonder if he could, he might have the the puzzle solved and if he has a bad way to get Cody to the ground. Um I wonder how much Cody is not merely just good. We know he's good, and we know he's powerful. I wonder how much he was well-schooled for Dominic. That, to me, is one of the questions. We just simply don't know the answer to that. We know he has tremendous defensive uh, reactive ability, right? Dun, 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 that kind of thing. Um, and we know he's got big clubbing power. We know he's got great cardio. We learned that in this fight. He can go five rounds. Maybe he slowed down a little bit in the end there, but um, great cardio. Very, very serviceable cardio at a bare minimum, right? So that's good. But you still have to wonder how much Alpha Male um, just kind of finally got a system to beat Cruz versus how, you know, is Cody just this new Bantamweight world beater? He might, in fact, be a Bantamweight world beater. I'm just saying, I think it's at least fair to ask that question until the Dillashaw fight happens and, and we can evaluate what happened there, you know? I'm not ready to count out Dillashaw just yet. I'm not. But it's also pretty clear that teacher criticism of him, of, of Garbrandt, that he's like a Vanderlei Silva type, not very fair. <laughs> not very fair. Uh, okay. Turn this down a little bit. So I was asking about Misha Tate. What'd you make of Misha on the Fox desk? I thought she did a pretty good job for her first time. That job is not easy, and um, and I thought I thought she did pretty well, all things considered. A little bit green, a little bit stuttery, a little bit um, slow to respond in the kind of sort of tempo that a broadcast needs at times. But those things can be worked on, and it's good to have a different perspective on the on the panel. So I think there are big things for her future. Yeah, she was good. Mm -hmm. Let's see how. Amanda's post-fight antics. Luke, you've made your position on fans' expectations of sportsmanship and fighting very clear, and to an extent I agree with you. I don't necessarily have an issue with Amanda getting in Edmund's face after the win or the verbal taunting on the mic or the social media memes and taunts. That isn't the issue. I do have to raise my eyebrow, however, that I keep noticing other fighters getting applauded or being given a free pass on things that Ronda has been ripped apart for. If Ronda had gotten in Mike Brown's face after winning or had one and posted memes taunting Amanda, let's just be real, a lot of people would have filled their diapers over it real quick. Is there hypocrisy in MMA fandom? Yes, of course there is. Also, is Misha Ronda 3 a fan service type of fight worth making? God, no. I mean, she needs something. She needs a tune-up fight, what she needs. Uh, Misha doesn't want it. I don't, I don't think Misha wants that anymore either. Maybe she does, but I don't think so. Uh, but yeah, let's be clear about that. There is no consistency in fan reaction. A lot of people are like, oh, I was mad at what Ol Cowboy Oliveira did because he missed weight. Okay. All right, so apparently that's the new thing. If you miss weight, you can't taunt. So Amanda didn't miss weight and taunted, and no one said anything. Okay, that's true. But if Rousey had done that, 
then you're right. I think everyone would have lost their minds. But then you could say, okay, but Rousey wasn't the one who was overlooked. She wouldn't necessarily have a reason to do that. Okay, so now we're adding rules to it. Now it's you can't miss weight, and now you can't be the favorite. I'm not exactly sure where this ends. You see what I'm saying? Is this this general culture that everyone makes up that everyone else is supposed to buy into? If those are your own personal you know, ways in which you want to view the world, that's fine. I don't, I'm not here to argue with you. You're allowed to think that these kinds of things are unsportsmanlike. By any other definition, they would be unsportsmanlike. But the problem is there are all kinds of ways in which we do allow for unsportsmanlike conduct that it's not a blanket ban. Like you're, It's not like, oh, well, fights, I saw some people like, when the fight's over, I don't want to see unsportsmanlike conduct. Okay, that might be your individual way of looking at the world, and I don't have an argument for uh, with it. I'm not, I'm not here to police the way in which you enjoy the sport necessarily, at least not on those terms. But you can see here we have an extraordinary amount of unsportsmanlike conduct, and no one seems to care all that much. I mean, I think I saw, saw some people getting upset about it. But then you have, look at that MVP dance. He's doing the, wrong, the, the dance where he's like getting, pretending to get knocked out, you know? Uh, I thought that was a little, a little low class, to be honest, but like, I didn't make a big stink about it. I don't really care, to be honest, because what am I going to do? I'm going to tell a grown man, take this off Twitter, take this off Instagram. It's his own life. He can live it however he wants, you know? Um, and I think MVP is actually a pretty good guy. And he spelled Ronda with an H. So, you know, there's a bit of self-ownage going on in there. But, like, you know, and I did see people speak out about that, too. But, like, a lot of people just didn't care. I just didn't care, you know? Um, and I didn't care what Cowboy Oliveira did, and I don't care what Amanda did. And if Ronda didn't want to shake hands with her, I'd get why people didn't like it, but I wouldn't really get all upset about it. There is definitely times where we allow for unsportsmanlike conduct after fights um, by winners. That's the that's the defining connectivity between Cowboy Oliveira and Amanda Nunes, weight issues aside, and um, and uh, that needs to be that needs to be acknowledged. Oh, I don't. I, when the fight's over, I want guys to shake hands. I do too. I liked it when Cody Garbrandt and Dominic Cruz shook hands. I liked it when they acknowledged each other as great opponents. I like that. I like, I'm just like you. I like all that. But when I don't get it, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell fighters how to, how to behave. These guys do an incra a crazy occupation for a living. They have a lot of weird ideas about the world. And just after a big fight like that, especially, or any fight in the UFC where, you know, your career is kind of hanging in the balance, can't really afford to lose too many of those. They're going to do crazy things, and I think for the most part, as long as they don't break any kind of rule, they don't spit on someone, they don't strike them after the bell or something, you know, um, I just I just don't care. Rousey's legacy. Luke, the immediate talk after her loss to Nunes was that Rousey's a product of media hype. I'm glad you asked this question, and that her success was down to coming up at a time when there was no quality in her division. Whilst there's probably some validity to that, she did beat two people who have stopped Nunes, so it's hard to buy the theory fully. What are your thoughts on the notion she was pure hype? Uh, it's okay. Let me just make a statement about this. Now, I, I I saw that Chael was saying she was partly a media creation. So I don't. I haven't listened to what Chael said, and I have tremendous respect for Chael. So let's put Chael to the side here for a second. I might give Chael a pass, depending on what he said. I, I actually haven't heard his full arguments. I don't even know, and I like Chael a lot. So uh, let me put that to the side for just a second. But Chael aside, who I think his bona fides are legit. Anybody else? Uh, Anybody else who says that Ronda Rousey was pure hype, and again, I don't know that's what Chael said. I just saw a headline, so forgive me if I'm even wrong on this one. But anybody who says Ronda was pure hype and strictly the product of um, media you know, promotion is off the roll call of people whose opinion on MMA or 
sports you can take seriously forever. You're off the list forever, right? That's what you are. Um, if you are out there, so if you're a Whitlock or a Clay Travis or wh- whoever else is saying it, you know, uh, oh, you know, liberal agenda or feminists or whatever their deranged argument is. If it's on that, if their name is on that list, they are off the roll call for who you take seriously for eternity. For for eternity, they're off. Because it would essentially tell you that they, I mean, it, it's, it's hard to explain exactly. It's like, um, it's like doubling down on an idea that is absurd on its face. Tom Brady, you know, I don't want to compare Tom Brady to one of the greatest quarterbacks ever, but certainly you can say, um, I don't know. I'll give a small example, something to the effect of, um, um, you know, Kirk Cousins this year, we told you he was a media hype. He wasn't, he wasn't even as good as Rex Grossman this year. You'd be like, Rex Grossman's not even in the league. Or he might be in the league somewhere, but I don't think he's even in the league. Like Kirk Cousins is a okay to good quarterback, but he's not <laughs> like what are you talking about? And being like, I told you, I told you he was media hype. I told you Rex Grossman was better. You'd be like, dude, what what are you talking about? Like that's cle- it's like demonstrably not true. Why is it not true? Well, okay. Is it true? Let's start with the bad stuff. Is it true that there was some media hype around Rousey, and in some ways significant, that was totally out to lunch? Where it was the media, when we say the media, what do we mean? Could be anything from uh, media, digital media that focuses on women's issues. Uh, to some extent, the MMA media probably has some culpability. Certainly, the larger sporting media has, I think, the most culpability. But generally, when we look at this larger, um, you know, world of media, was there some hyperbole about her at her peak? 1000% true. You know, being on the cover of Ring magazine was laughable at the time. And I think a lot of us were like, mm, and is certainly laughable in retrospect. You know, um, that whole fighting Mayweather thing was a, a ridiculous waste of everyone's time. You know, is she a feminist icon? I've always found trouble buying into that idea, quite frankly. Um, or that she is, you know, preternaturally intelligent and has this incredible sensibility. It's like, mm, she also tweeted a video about Sandy Hook trutherism. So, you know, there's a lot to dislike about her. Uh, there's a lot to dislike about any person, but she has her healthy share of it as well. Uh, and there was a lot about the kind of things people were trying to turn her into that was never really real. And that part is true. But here's the part about Rhonda that has to be acknowledged. Let's take every portion of her identity that was hyperbolic and magnified by the media or transmogrified into something it's not. Okay, let's take all of that, put it aside for just a second, and let's talk about her actual record. Her actual record is extraordinarily distinguished. So to me, when someone says, well, they're just pure, she's just pure hype, it's like, what on earth are you talking about? Yes, if you want to say, hey, you know, Rousey conquered MMA, is boxing next? Oh, this is so this is such an insane thing to say. Sure, okay, fair enough. But the truth about Ronda Rousey is that all the things we can say definitively she did uh, put together is is truly special, <laughs> right? So, so when someone's like, she's pure hype, it's like, oh God, you, I mean, you can't be serious. You just can't be serious, bro. Um, 
What did she do? There were things she did for the sport that I think, um, independent of what happened in the cage, although the two are related because she had this incredible success rate early and, and through the middle part of her career. Um, part of it was just that. Part of it was that she helped through this wild success to promote uh, women's MMA, to promote women's sports in a way that we hadn't um, really enjoyed before. And look at what she has created around her. You've got Paige Van Zant and Michelle Waterson headlining to great ratings on Fox. You've now got a 145 division. And maybe that division is trash, but there is one now that they made. And um, certainly 135 has been an incredible success for them, as, as, as has 115. And Invicta Fighting Championships is struggling along, but women's MMA is here to stay, I feel like. It is a major, major component of um, – of, uh, modern combat athletics there's a market for it people like it the women are getting better by the day and um, we just have to accept that fact and a major major catalyst for that were the pioneers yes that came before ronda rousey the julie kedzies the nagumi fujis the tara la rosas and you can go on from there but ronda rousey i'm sorry she kicked it in high gear she just did and you have to give her a substantial amount of credit for that okay Here's the other part about it. It's not merely like what is her achievement? She bunch of, beat a bunch of women and then she lost and then she helped promote MMA. No, she raised the level of performance across the entire uh, entirety of women's MMA, certainly within her division. And certainly I think in MMA generally, she showed that if you don't, if you are uh, in any way weak in the clinch against someone who can do these kinds of things, however in limited supply they might be, you're going to get in trouble. And she also showed that there is a market for people who can combine submissions and takedowns into almost one dynamic motion or at least one straight coordinated line of attack in ways that jiu-jitsu often doesn't have. And if you have the athleticism to bring it to life, this is a way in which you can win and beat people, including silver medalists in wrestling, including jiu-jitsu black belts, including all-around, well-rounded experience. Is it true that she had this incredible lead on her opposition with some glaring weaknesses that she never addressed and that everyone not so much caught up with the things she's good at, but found the loophole to take advantage to make sure that everything she is good at doesn't really apply uh, in the way that it used to. Yes, that is true. And that is a big stain on her career. And we can acknowledge it. It's not like Ronda Rousey has done everything amazing from the word go. These, these failures are an indictment on her, on her coach, um, to some extent on the limited, limited nature of judo without uh, increased adaptations. Yeah, all these things are fine. Her record is not perfect, but her record is exemplary. It is truly, truly exemplary. She fought in a way we hadn't seen before and was doing things in MMA, including in the men's game, that we didn't see before. Carl Parisian had a lot of fun tossing Diego Sanchez around. He didn't turn it super quickly into an armbar. That is a new thing. That's a new thing that comes from judo that we just don't have a lot of. Even the other judo players, like Yoshida, like Takimoto, they were real kind of slow with some of their submissions. Some, not all judo players are the same, of course. Not all the schools are the same. She was the product of Jimmy Pedro's school, which was really diligent about Neiwaza. She was re and Tachiwaza as well. They were, she was really diligent about that. And she was doing things that were freaking amazing. You know, going right from takedown directly into mount, and not just occasionally, routinely, routinely torching people like that. That is that is a technical adaptation, a technical improvement that made all of her contemporaries better. And this is the fact of the matter. People like Rousey, and there are other factors in play as well. Three years ago, especially in women's MMA, might as well be 30 years ago. 
the level of sophistication and rapid improvement in modern in MMA, and especially right now in women's MMA, which has further to go, but that means they can go faster, is extraordinary. It is extraordinary. You know, I don't know that Amanda Nunes, without what Holly Holm had done, and then her own time, camp over camp to get better, would have done this three years ago. Would you have picked Amanda Nunes to beat Ronda Rousey three years ago? I'm not so sure I would, because I think she would have got the clinch a lot easier. But now they know that the clinch is, the clinch is kryptonite and that she can be had a little bit on the feet. They're able to bring these skill sets to life. But their skill sets had to mature first to get there. So this idea that, like, is she it was, was there a part of her story that was just fiction? Yeah. Yeah, of course there was. I mean, who could say otherwise? I even criticized some of the media for this hagiography that she would do. Oh, my God, look at this feminist icon who can just beat all the men. And at 135, she could beat Brian Caraway. And she, you know, Beyonce loves her. And she's not a DNB. And uh, maybe she'll go into boxing and win an, an Olympic medal there as an amateur. Or maybe she'll go pro and beat Layla Ali. Yes, there was a lot of nonsense. Strip all that away. The core of what's left is without argument exemplary exemplary and you just have to contend with that fact we can have criticisms we want about how she handled media or her own career or what role edmund plays we can have criticisms about to what extent the there are benefits and then real limits to a judo game in mma there we can have all of these debates it doesn't take away from what she contributed both as a promotional vehicle to greater heights and as someone who helped develop the game how can you take that away from her? One says, uh, personally, I disagree that the division has completely moved past her. I don't think the division's moved past her either. I think some of her top contemporaries clearly have given her a lot of trouble. But is it conceivable that she could regain a title with a vastly different approach and some time away? I don't, I don't see why that's so crazy. Perhaps unlikely, but not crazy. Someone says she's still a contender, just needs a re uh, renewed approach and change of scenery, change of thinking, camp, coach, switch, blah, 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 blah. Outside of Noons and home, she's beaten almost all the top-ranked women. Uh, maybe she'd have trouble with Duran to me. Yeah, because Duran to me is amazing in the clinch and can strike on the outside. Uh, Amanda Nunes and her future as champion. Hey, Luke. And by the way, last thing on this. Listen to what even Amanda Nunes was saying about Ronda. You know, I, yes, I'm a jiu-jitsu black belt, and yes, I can strike, but I've been investing every camp to beat Ronda Rousey. She had to think of it years in advance and then apply that um, and then diligently work on it over time as an investment to then cash in on it when the time came. But it wasn't like she was like, oh, I'll just deal with her once it's my turn to fight her. No, no, no. These girls were investing, and these ladies, excuse me, were investing – a while ago to beat her because she had an extraordinary target on her back. One, you know, which makes sense. But like to just take that away from her, I feel like is manifestly unfair. Ronda Rousey has given us a lot and we should very much be appreciative of that fact. Whatever else you want to say about her. Uh, as much as Ronda showed huge gaps in her game last week, Amanda Nunes looked cool, calm, and clinical in her striking. Yes, that's true. Her devastating striking also put the Misha Tate, Misha Tate away in the first round. I think a strong case can be made for her having one of the most dangerous first rounds in the UFC. Agreed. How do you see her matching up against Shevchenko and Pena? Uh, Shevchenko, I think I think it's we'll have to see how Amanda's cardio looks late because she does put all those heavy punches in, you know. Um, but I think Shevchenko is the better striker. She's just a little bit outsized as a has a gap on the ground, too. 
So it'll just be have to see how Amanda fights her on the ground against Pena. That's also true. Could Pena get her to the ground? Probably. Um, but on the feet, I think Shevchenko has a substantial advantage over Pena. That I, I'm looking forward to that fight. I think that fight will tell us a lot about um, the future of this division. How likely is it she remains champion for a long time? I don't know that it's that likely. I think Shevchenko's a, re uh, a real test. Um, gives Zangano another sh shot. You never know what could happen. Um, she's tough. She's tough. But that division is coming along pretty quickly. Robbie Lawler, Nick Diaz. What are your thoughts on Nick turning down the Robbie Lawler fight? I'm, I, it sounds like he wants a championship fight. So... I am I am extremely disappointed that he turned that down. To be honest, I wish he would. I thought that fight needed to happen. I thought it'd be amazing, but uh, apparently he just wants the <laughs> apparently he just wants the big fights. What are you gonna do, John Lineker? What's next for old Johnny Lineker? I don't think he's too far out of the top five. Heal up the jaw, get back to the the, the drawing board. I just like to see him add in a little bit more novelty and originality in his game you know um not that he's not an incredible talent but you can see that there's another level above him you know it wasn't merely that dillashaw was able to do his offense in some kind of way i always ask this test look at the two guys who fought look who won look who lost a lot of times you can just look at in a in a, in a macro abstract perspective um who had the more dynamic looking offense who was doing more interesting things more different uh different things Dillashaw like he just had a there's a level of dynamism above what John Lineker is doing so it just goes back to the drawing board he's still young he's still got a lot of reason to think he's a good competitor I don't think he's too far out of the top he's certainly top five you know maybe not top three in that division but pretty near it pretty near it yes but it's hi Luke just wondering why you think the Diaz brothers have a cult following and are so popular because they're so good they're so original they're so authentic um there's they don't, I, you know, they didn't go to Cambridge, but I think they're very smart. Um, and, you know, they are, they are, they are in a world full of phoniness related to, you know, Ronda Rousey being the next thing in boxing. They are the real McCoy. You know, I think, in fact, I think their losses make them the real McCoy, right? Because you can see that they have their limits like anybody else. But um, in a world full of nonsense, they are candid. In a world full of, promotion they are fairly grounded uh in a world full of bs they call it straight you know um the world might be the chaser they're the shot so that's why what are your personal favorite fighters to watch and your top time favorite fights Ooh, i still think my one of my favorite fights is uh carl parisian versus diego sanchez uh, I just love that fight. I have such a fond memory of watching that fight. I watched that fight by myself. Um, this is when I was covering MMA like halfway, maybe not even halfway, like quarter way or something. And I went to this bar by myself because none of my friends wanted to watch. They watched the uh, Lieben versus Silva fight. Um, this is when fight nights were on spike. And I went and I watched um, at Summers in Arlington, Virginia. If you guys know Arlington, Virginia, it's a famous soccer bar. And um, they were showing the fights, and I watched it by myself. And uh, I drank, I ordered a pitcher of beer. I think I, I I think I drank two pitchers of beer by myself. I got screwed up, and uh, 
and I just had so much fun watching that fight. I really did. That sounds like a loser thing to do to go drink by yourself and watch fights at a bar, and it makes me a loser. I don't care. I really don't care. That just the way in which they matched up and Diego overcame him in the end. It was like I'm not presenting to you that that's the best fight that's ever been made, but I just have a really fond memory of it. Um, top favorite fighters to watch today. I, I would say McGregor, of course, is must watch. Number good Madoff, Tony Ferguson, um, the Diaz brothers, Stipe Miocic. Uh, still want to see what Verdum has. I'm kind of always interested when he competes. John Jones, of course, uh, Anthony Rumble Johnson, Cormier. Basically, the guys who are elite, uh, Demi and Maya. I really, I cannot wait to see Demi and Maya fight again. Um, all the guys at bantamweight we mentioned. Yeah, I mean, elite. I like elite. I think that's the portion of MMA that is really the sweetest. You know, it's fun to watch Rock'em Sock'em. Don't get me wrong. Everyone loves Choi versus Swanson, and I have respect for those guys in ways that I can't even communicate. But if you're asking me like what I really get up for, I get up for the elite of each division doing the things that only they can do. Uh, good question, because I actually listened to it yesterday. Do you know of any MMA media member who listens to Joe Rogan's Fight Breakdown Recap podcasts live and tweets out noteworthy stuff? Uh, I don't. We were doing that for a while, and I think people got tired of it, But or I'm not sure. Also, I think he stopped giving out less nuggets. No, I, I listened to it yesterday because I had to drive to go to Richmond, Virginia and back, and... Um, I really enjoyed it. It was the one with um, Eddie Bravo, Joey Diaz, Brendan Schaub, and, of course, Joe Rogan. And I really enjoyed it. I mean, it, it, it wanders around where they were talking about cannibalism for a while and uh, muggings for a while. But um, when they talked about, I think there was a, actually, I'll, I'll give them a shout out. Early on, I think in the first hour, I want to say, they had a discussion about Gerald Strebent. Gerald Strebent was one of Eddie's first students, I think maybe his first black belt, um, but Eddie found him as a blue belt. In any case, I remember this fight vividly. Gerald Strebent fought um, Josh Thompson in UFC years and years ago. And Gerald, they were talking about how bad coaching can lead you astray, or even good coaching, but bad advice can lead you astray. Gerald was a grappler, wrestled through high school, You know, was deep into Eddie Bravo's uh, lessons at that point and was a very accomplished ground technician. And Eddie was kind of trying to tell him against Josh, like, yo, this is a fight where you can win, but you got to win on the ground. And for six months, Gerald Streetman had been training uh, Muay Thai. Six months, that's it. And his coach at the time apparently said he was Bangkok ready. Okay. And apparently he came out with like, I forget what it's called, where you wear it around your head, you know, the Thai thing and then the armbands and the, and you're doing the whole bit, you know, or you're dancing and blessing the cage. And apparently Thompson was freaked out by it, so he decided to take him down because he because he thought he was he was good on the on uh, on his feet. And in the end, Thompson wound up like hammer fisting him to death. But um, but you get the idea that like bad coaching, and they, they can tell you you're Bangkok ready after six months. Man, you're not even you're nothing after six months. Um, you might not be anything after six years. So there's a lesson that they talk about in there that I thought was really really good. You know, they, when they start starting to cannibalism, that's not necessarily my cup of tea, but um, the last episode for several long stretches of it was really was really quite good. Goldberg's exit. Glad you asked about this. UFC was pretty quiet considering it was Goldberg's last show on UFC 207. Did Goldberg UFC leave on amicable terms? I am told they did not. Anything you know that can you can share with us? While many would agree Goldberg simply wasn't good at his job, you think if you worked at a company for that long, they'd give you a proper send-off. No, they won't. 
No, they won't. Number one, corporate media corporate media doesn't care about you. Or corporate, I'm sorry, uh, corporate uh, America, I should say, doesn't care about you. Number two, if you work in media, which is where I meant to go, if you work as a broadcaster, I shouldn't say media because that's not true. If you work for print media or forms of digital media, this is actually not true at all. But for like, if you're a broadcaster, if you're behind a microphone or a camera, and I, especially a big camera at a big place, um, it's it's hard to explain to you if you don't if you haven't worked in the industry, you almost never get a chance to say goodbye. Almost never. If you're in radio, you're going to get fired before you ever say goodbye. In almost all likelihood, it is so so rare to ever say goodbye in TV. Almost no one except Oprah or something like that. Somebody really big and substantial that has a unique bond to their audience gets to do that. I guarantee you, for example, there's a very good chance Joe Rogan will get to say goodbye when he goes away. But Joe Rogan is beloved. I understand that some people have, as it turns out quite late, some fond feelings for Mike Goldberg. I get that. But I think he's being replaced because he's simply not the best candidate for the job, not even close. He might be a great guy. He might have been a loyal servant to Zufa, and I respect all those things. But I can just tell you, in television and in radio, you almost never get a chance to say goodbye. I was on MMA Uncensored Live. Do you think we had a chance to say goodbye? Sure didn't. I've been on radio shows that have been canceled. Do you think you get a chance to say goodbye? You certainly do not. It never happens. The fact that he even got to say just a few words at the end of that broadcast, I won't say that he was lucky, but I would say that even that is slightly unusual. Um, the idea they were going to have some big send-off for him, it was never going to happen. He was being replaced because they want someone else. Like, why would they give him a chance to say goodbye? They don't, you know, I hate to put it in these terms because it sounds harsh and cold and cruel and unfair, and it is, but it's also the world we live in. They don't want him there. They're not, they're not going to, that business is insane. You want to be a broadcaster? You want to be, uh, you know, a television star? Okay. See how often they give you a chance to say goodbye. It basically never happens. Chris Berman might get a shot because Chris Berman's been in ESPN for 30 years and you know helped build it from the ground up. And you might say Goldberg did it too, and Berman's not good at his job. Well, ESPN likes Chris Berman better, you know, whatever the case may be. It, it, let me just let me tell you, the fact that he got to sign off even at all is unusual. That you, that if you're expecting him to get like a cake and like to say goodbye like Vern Lundquist did, not gonna happen. Not gonna happen. All right, let's go to the Twitter machine. If anyone Rousey has beaten, you would favor over in a rematch, Tate or Zingano? I wouldn't favor either of them. Maybe maybe Tate, but I still think Zingano would get clinched up. Could Cody Garbrandt headline a pay-per-view after that performance on such a big stage? Maybe. More like Komen. Wait, what? Is fighter of the year as big of an achievement for a fighter like MVP is for an NBA player? Not exactly, because the, MV the MVP is codified, I think. Um, there's only one of them. Like Individual media outlets can have their own, but there's only one MVP um, as voted on by stakeholders. So no, it's not quite as valuable. Is Rousey's stagnation a result of her inability to improve or an unwillingness to accept she needs to, which is more prominent? Since there is so much of a secretive nature around her, it's impossible to say. 
but certainly whatever they're doing there together is not working, whether it's her own inability to uh, bring her game to life in the cage, whether it's an inability to improve, whether it's Edmund's inability to handle someone of that kind of level for continued adaptation, hard to say. But um, there you go. There are rumors that Ronda Rousey didn't spar much. Indication that her ability to absorb hits has diminished since the home KO? I don't think so, but it might be an, it might what it might say is an unwillingness to accept hits. Not that she can't take them like like her chin is diminished in some way, but that her willingness to take them has diminished. Um Someone's asking, how is the MMA journalist of the year? I think you mean who? Rogan said, CM, Conor McGregor doesn't deserve equity. He is well paid for his bouts. He doesn't add UFC money outside of his own fights. Thoughts? That is for Conor McGregor and UFC to decide, but that's an interesting argument that Joe makes. Oh, this sucks. Just had to unexpectedly put my dog down yesterday. You as a dog lover have had to do that. Not yet. These are my first two dogs. So I'm very sorry to hear that, friend. Um, condolences. True, false. Rousey is champ after one year dedicated training under a major gym coach. I'll say false. But who's to say? What the hell? Who is this? Michael Rappaport? Rossi has white girl privilege? Oh, God. Oh, God. Thoughts on Ric Flair's deadlift form? Do y'all see Ric Flair? Ric Flair was two nanoseconds from Snap City. Like, he does like a Romanian, like, straight leg deadlift. But I don't think he was intending to do a Romanian straight leg deadlift. I don't know how many times you can tell people the erectors in your back, they're small muscles that can't do a whole lot. Um, you need them, and they are part of the deadlift. But, yeah, that's not what you're lifting off the, off the floor. Why the hell did Dana White make Misha Tate do all those damn interviews with Skip and all uneducated MMA media? I feel bad. I don't know that Dana made her do that, but Fox Sports probably asked her to do that as her role as now someone who is on Fox Sports. And I'm actually glad she did because at least you can get Misha on that show who has an, a respectable opinion about things. That, that makes it better, I suppose. Someone's asking about this. Would, would Cody belong at number five on the pound for pound list? I think pound for pound, like even if you beat the number three, uh, pound for pound is not a place where you can be like, oh, now I'm number three. Pound for pound is more like a body of work. Um, also, why I objected to putting Ronda Rousey on pound for pound, by the way. But uh, it's part of a larger body of work that you have to accumulate over time. So like certainly that win against Dominic Cruz is significant but it's by itself not enough to be number three maybe not even number five despite only fighting once in 2016 is ronda a candidate for the worst 2016 yeah she certainly is not a lot of talking about eddie alvarez what's next for him i think he's still in shock but I, you know i think he'll be back too personally i like to see him versus nate me too well sort of
With correct coaching of Ronda Rousey's incorporated sidekicks or other techniques, could she tempt fighters to close the range instead? Potentially. Uh, the, uh, everyone likes to ask these questions. When will the $5 foot long return to Subway? Ask Subway. Does Thatch train BJJ at all? Brand, uh, Brendan Thatch. Brandon Thatch, excuse me. His ground game still seems non-existent to me. Elliot Marshall is a good coach, right? Elliot Marshall is a great coach. Um, I think Thatch has performance issues. Maybe I've heard some training issues, but not. He's not. He doesn't lack for athleticism or striking. Um, just because you trained BJJ doesn't make you. Oh, I, I, I don't know how many times I got to say this. People are like, well, I thought he trained BJJ. So what? You could train BJJ for 20 years and not get very good at it. Not everyone gets good at it. Not everyone can get good at everything. Some things people get good at, some things people don't. There's a general level of achievement that's attainable given a certain amount of effort that some people will get there quicker, some people will get there slower, some people will never get there at all, but right. Not everyone gets good. Ronda should follow Misha and Hendo and retire to do grappling EBI tourney. Now that's in her interest. Rossi's next career move dictated by WME. Can they ruin acting plans so she can fight and help repay UFC debt? I don't know about all that, but certainly it's going to be interesting to see to what extent um, her relationship with WME um, helps guide the next chapter in her career. Thoughts on Bisping Woodley catchweight fight at 180? I'm not saying I don't want to see it because who wouldn't want to see it, but that's not... I'd rather those guys defend their titles. How does the UFC uh, build the women's 145 division slowly and, and unevenly? True or false? Eric Del Fiero is the most underrated top coach in MMA. Ooh, that might be true. Fantastic coach. Some, you know, he, wins some, he wins some, he loses some, but he is always or very usually either winning or at least competitive. Could Ronda Rousey start a pull guard game like Crone? How is she going to pull guard if you can't grab a hold of someone? You have to have a nice grip on someone to pull guard. And you have to be able to wrap your body up around them as you do it. So how are you going to pull guard? Go to a gym and try to pull guard on someone. If they don't want you to pull guard on them, either by clinch breaking or by stepping out with a weak hold, they'll just fall flat on your back. You have to be able to get a hold of someone to pull guard. A lot of schools will, like, for example, they'll start sparring. I don't agree with this, but th it happens. Okay, in training, it can be different because they can ask you to do this just to work on your guard, not as a way to, like, necessarily take that attitude towards a tournament. But they'll be like, they'll line everyone up, and they'll say, you know, get grab a partner. Okay, one of you is going, to, everyone on this side of the room, you're going to pull guard, and then you're going you're gonna to go. You're going you're gonna to live roll. And so you'll walk over, but the person over there will let you pull guard. But to do it, you got to get a nice hook on their lapel, or their or their uh, nice you know, grip on their lapel, or a sleeve, or a sleeve in a lapel, or even better yet, the neck. I, I mean, there's a lot of ways to pull guard, I suppose, but um, you got to get a grip on them. Can't just you can't just walk over and do that. And Chrome Gracie's able to do it, I think, in part because Kawajiri eventually got tired or maybe didn't care. But also that ring is like this; it's a 90 degree angle. It's a lot easier to corner and trap someone and dig underhooks. You have to be really adept at sticking and moving and bobbing and weaving um, 
to avoid that. I don't know how if Crone's going to be able to have the same kind of success with someone who can, you know, jab his face and get out of the way in an open octagon, you know. You feel it's pretty safe to say now that Rousey wears damage quite poorly. Seems unable to take damage. No, nope. I think she got bombed on by someone who hits incredibly hard. Barbara versus Dillashaw for thoughts already did that one. How does Ronda Rousey's loss affect Conor McGregor's bargaining power? I think it ups it quite substantially, but I don't know that it fundamentally alters it. Oh, Brock Lesnar suspended by USADA for one year. Don't think Brock Lesnar's not coming back because he is. Don't think he's not. <laughs> don't think he's not coming back. Fallon, you boy. Uh, he might not, but still, he could. Maybe he can go to Bellator. You know, that'd be amazing, wouldn't it? Uh, someone says, I was really impressed by Alan Joban's last fight. How far do you think he can make it to go at 170? You know, he's a little bit older, and I think he's quite good. Um, I don't know that he's a title contender, but certainly I think um, potentially uh, top 10 potential there. I said potential like seven times. Is there anything more embarrassing than Skip Bayless talking MMA? Yes, you guys bringing up the fact that Skip Bayless is talking MMA. If Rousey came back but took a Maya approach, we've already been down that road. Uh, it appears, Luke, when looking at Ronda's last two fights, it appears that she has simply lost confidence. Why are analysts forever looking for the magical answer when it seems pretty simple? Because it's not so simple because that is you reading into the situation. I don't think she lost a lot of confidence in the last one. I think she was sort of bothered by the world crashing down on her. I mean, I, mean, I don't think she was afraid of Holly Holm. I think she still thought she could beat Holly Holm. And I think she thought she could beat Amanda Nunes, too. Um, she may have looked, I think there's an argument to be made. She maybe have looked a little bit, um, not so confident pretty quickly in the fight, but just sort of saying things like, Oh, it's so obvious. She looked like she lost confidence. You're just making some kind of like, you know, Monday morning quarterback assertion about things that we don't know to actually be true. Since I left you a cool Facebook on a Facebook message of Cody's breakdance. Check it out. All right. I will. Would you fight the Eagle for a $200,000 offer? I would tap like Bob Sapp, boy. I don't want no parts of that. Who, uh, what was the better, what was better, Cody's breakdance versus Dom or Nick's push-up versus Silva? You mean Nick's, like, beach chair thing? I think that's a little bit better. They're both pretty good. What is being downplayed more and why? Rousey's coach and camp or her mental state? The coach. Everyone is bagging on the coach now, but the coach issue was big beforehand, and it only now is it getting the treatment. So, like, now it's all up in your face, but that should have been explored much more widely prior to the fight, and it wasn't. Um, and there was a lot of things about her mental state that were explored before the fight that are only now, I think, taking a backseat to the coach. So it's probably the answer is both, but in different ways. But if you're asking me, like, right now, everyone's like, Edmund's so terrible. Time out. We should have been talking about that a long time ago. Uh, okay, there's a lot of unanswered questions, so I apologize. I'll try to get to some of these written a little bit later on. Chrome Gracie, by the way, we think of Kawa Gracie versus Kawajiri Ryzen. Yeah, there you go. Uh,
Yeah, okay, I got to go. Um, appreciate everybody watching. Thank you so much. Please give the video a like. Thank you to everybody who watched uh, the Monday Morning Analyst. I'm very, very pleased with how it turned out this week. If you look in the description box below, you'll see the thread where all these questions are, so you can time everything up if you want, if it makes it easier. And tell folks about the live chat. I really appreciate it. 2017, we are here. Let's do some big things this year. So thank you so much for watching. And until next time, ladies and gents, uh, stay frosty. <laughs>